0: On the 21st of July, the government announced a U-turn in its cladding guidance. It said leaseholders living in buildings under 18 metres tall would no longer need external wall application forms, EWS1 forms. In its latest decision, the government found there is no systemic risk of fire in these blocks of flats. Therefore, there is no need for EWS1 forms the documents designed to verify whether a building is safe or not following the Grenfell Tower fire in 2017. Many leaseholders have found themselves stuck in properties deemed undesirable by lenders due to the risk of huge cladding removal bills. Some estimated at as much as £70,000 lingering over them. Now, high street lenders, HSBC, Barclays and Lloyds have committed to reviewing their practices following the government's new guidance to further unlock the housing market. Today, we're going to talk about three things. Firstly, why now? Why did the government decide now to change its mind over the EWS1 forms? It seems to have taken some of the industry by surprise. Secondly, will lenders really change their approach and how will leaseholders benefit? Uh, And thirdly, the issue which has arisen uh, around this blanket-wide rule uh, on EWS1 forms for buildings under 18 metres. What are the implications of that? Is a blanket-wide rule the best solution? With me today, uh, I have Jeff Brammel, Head of Professional Development Services at Legal and General Surveying, and I've got Catherine Beaumont, mortgage consultant at London Money. Uh, I'm Ruby, Ruby Hinchliffe, uh, FT Advisor Reporter. Um, okay, guys, let's start with the first of our, our three discussion points today. Um, why now, uh, Jeff? Do you want to kick us off there? That's a
1: really, really good question, and it's something that uh, has cropped up quite a lot on the calls that I've been having over the last sort of few days. Um, Because the current guidance that the RICS published uh, has only been effective since April uh, and many lenders uh, were a little bit slow to adopt it. So uh, many lenders, it was really towards the end of April, even into May, uh, when they started following that guidance. Um, So the the guidance was subject to very widespread consultation throughout the uh, industry with lenders, brokers, fire assessors, the government themselves it was generally thought to be a pretty sensible document. I think there was, there was widespread a claim that it, it, it struck that balance between asking for forms, but not asking for forms where there was no clear evidence of a problem. Um, and I think the evidence that we've seen, uh, and this is borne out by uh, discussion with other colleagues in the lending industry, is that the number of requests for forms on the lower rise buildings have, has come down quite dramatically. So, so the, the numbers were heading in the right direction anyway. Um, so it just seems a little bit odd for the government to, to announce uh, this sort of blanket ban effect when we're still sort of getting to grips with the recent guidance anyway. And, and the evidence is that the recent guidance uh, was reducing the numbers. So um, a little bit, I would have thought, sensibly perhaps allow the guidance to, to, to run for perhaps three months or so before, and then, then review it um rather than this sort of a very quick change of heart
0: thanks jeff and then Catherine, what about you what did you think of the announcement when it was first uh, published last week
2: so again the the announcement came as a bit of a surprise as well and we haven't really seen sort of lenders come on board with that and as jeff has said about the sort of uh, rick's guidance as well um i've not actually experienced any lenders changing their views at the moment um I just assume it's it's to try and get the sort of the, these people who are stuck, who can't mortgage or remortgage sort of back into being able to, to lend, borrow or sell. Um, but I think it's ju- just going to take quite a long time to actually you know, catch up or the, or the lenders to actually catch up and take this guidance on board and actually change their criteria, which I can't see is happening at the moment.
0: That was my next question to you, Catherine, and and Jeff, feel free to chime in. Uh, What are some of the main things holding lenders back? Like if we were to get into the nitty gritty of it.
2: So, again, it's the the need for EWS1 forms, um, also the um, headed letter that also goes along with that. We're actually finding that a lot of clients weren't actually able to get an EWS1 form because um, Jeff might be able to uh, sort of nip in on this. Um, Some of the RIC surveyors weren't actually going out to do them because of the liability insurance or something. We've had quite a lot of that going around. Um, Trying to get hold of their management company Companies and getting, uh, you know, some information from them as to whether an EWS one has been done, and then also if they are, it's the huge delays um, of those actually being processed.
1: Yeah, just to pick up on, on what Catherine said there, um, I've been in calls with uh, lenders, uh, quite a number of lenders over the past few days. Uh, in fact, just literally before this call was on with with with, with uh, a lender. And, and whilst Catherine was talking, <laughs> I just received an email from another one. So lenders are very alive to this. Um, I think it's taken a lot of lenders by surprise as well. Uh, and not just the fact that it was an announcement. I think we all got wind of something was going to be announced, but the kind of quite abrupt nature of it that there wasn't much nuance. It was just if it's less than 80 metres, the form's no longer required. But, of course, the EDS1 form is not a sort of legal form. It's not a regulation. It is the lender's own uh, requirement. Uh, So the government isn't really in a position to just dictate to lenders. Um, And certainly the cause we've been having over the last few days is uh, all the lenders we've spoken to have said, uh, absolutely 100%. There's going to be no immediate changes to their policies and their guidance. They will be led by by the uh, RICS and they'll be led by the evidence. If there is clear evidence that the existing guidance needs to be changed, um, then the guidance will be changed after consultation. Um, but if there's no evidence, then why would we change? I mean, you know, we've got a system that is working. I think most people are quite familiar with it now. And I think most of the industry find that it's about right. You know, we, we've not heard any uh, comments or anyone saying there's any really obvious problems with it. Um, so, so my view, and I think that, that certainly the RSES, I've been in cause with RSCS, um with, uh, with lenders, is... Um, you know what's changed i think that's that's the, the general view is that in order to change the guidance it, it has to be in reaction to something that's that's evidence-based and i think that's what where we'll be looking over the next few weeks is there any real evidence and if so um you know where does that evidence lead us in terms of uh, getting the forms filled in you know, the things that Catherine raised i think uh that's a whole new podcast in a way isn't it but uh, um yeah, you can understand the government's frustration that, that 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 there are you know a million people stuck in flats who can't move, can't remortgage, they can't get on with their lives. I mean, it, it, you know, it is a real human issue. Um, but but you don't sort of solve that problem if you like by just moving someone else into those flats. Um, and you know, the, the, if the flats are dangerous. Uh, They need to be fixed. If the government is saying, well, our evidence is that, in fact, they're not as dangerous as we thought, or there is no great risk of a fire starting, then let's see the evidence and and let's react to that.
0: So uh, from the announcement, I mean, I saw that the government had referenced research that they'd done, and it was from a number of of fire safety experts. Um, Whether that's research that's been out for a while, that wasn't really clarified in the release, but... Um, it, it does because a lot of people were lobbying the government to change their their guidance for a while based on that sort of research that the actual risk of some of these buildings is very very low and so the the lending approach was wasn't proportionate um so it's interesting that you said that you don't feel like the, the, there's been more recent research
1: if uh, there may well have been recent research mm. but it's not referenced particularly in the document they quote some statistics about how many fires occur, and what percentage of those fires occur in high rise blocks but of course, unless you know what percentage of the u k uh, housing stock is represented by flux in high rise blocks you don 't know whether that's more of a risk or less of a risk and obviously it 's not just about the the frequency of an event um, you know if, if if an event is quite rare um, but it has very significant consequences, then you need to do something about it so to sort of say, well, you've more chance of having a fire in a bungalow, say, than in a high-rise block of flats. If that's what the, what the assessment is saying, well, that may be true, but the potential consequences of a fire in a in a property where the residents can just walk through a door and get out are probably nowhere near as severe as as some, a fire where you're on the twentieth floor of a building. It's the middle of the night. There are hundreds of people in the building. Um, you're all sharing a common staircase and things like that. So. It's not just about the frequency, it's about the potential consequences.
0: Sure. And I guess some of that's quite hard to measure as well. I mean, we've kind of already talked about the next point, um, which is sort of will <coughs> lenders really change their approach and will leaseholders really feel the benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Catherine, do you want to expand on that a little bit from what you've seen so far?
2: So, I mean, I haven't seen any evidence that lenders are actually going to change their their approach. Um, I think there is one lender that will actually request a letter from the management company with regard to having had an EWS1 done rather than sending the EWS1 form. But I know that I've appealed a few cases where the flats have been under 18 metres tall. <laughs> based on the guidance um, and each lender I speak to are kind of saying that they're not looking at changing their criteria anytime soon. And I, I kind of don't blame them. It's, 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 you know, if Jeff is saying, actually, there probably isn't enough evidence, um, would you as a potential purchaser want to go into a property that that could potentially have have a fire risk? It's a massive issue that, that needs sorting out. I mean, for example, I actually had an application where the client was already with the lender and wanted a further advance. They've gone out and actually revalued the property, and then wouldn't lend because of the EWS one, even though they already held the security. So you can see it's you know it's it's a definite sort of um, stalling block for 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 so many people. And I know as part of my advice, if I know anybody who is buying. An apartment, and I know it's a high rise. You know, we we will always warn them of the EWS one issue, just making sure that it's in place because we know it has affected so many of our applications and that it will just stall with the lender if you cannot get an EWS one. Mm, and and something I was seeing was just that
0: um, off the back of that, um, when the announcement was made, a lot of leaseholders on Twitter were asking me and asking a lot of other journalists, like, what is going to happen now to us then? Like, you know, what's, are we going to not need the form? Like, yeah. I'm in the process of applying for one or I paid for one. Like, do I still need it? Um, but, Jeff, I know you were going to jump in there. You've, you've yeah, just, I know you've.
1: Just a, a point that Catherine made there is, um, that the government announcement um, and the and the report that sits behind the announcement is all about fire safety and whether these buildings really are as dangerous as we perhaps were told and let 's face it we 're told by mHclG only in January two thousand twenty uh, through the consolidated advice note if they 're not that dangerous well let 's see the evidence that that says that um, and they're talking about the, the sort of dangers, if you like, of, of to life and the cost of remediation. So I think it's worth just mentioning that the EDS-1 form isn't about safety of the occupants. It's about the likelihood of significant expenditure being required on the building. Mm-hmm. And so it's perfectly uh, possible for someone to, to, to go along and say, well, we can mitigate the risk to the occupiers because that's what things like the waking watches are for. Um, we put them in place. So realistically, if a fire does stop people, we can evacuate people. Um, there's talk about sprinklers and all, 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 all the other sort of things. But if, but if in the longer term the real solution is to spend a lot of money on that building, to, to that, then that has a consequence for value. And if you are a potential purchaser uh, or a potential lender, and you're faced with two blocks of flats, and you know they're both the same price uh, flat, but one's in a building which you know is safe and complies with all the correct requirements. Another one where it's probably safe enough in the sense that the chances of a fire occurring is probably very, very low, but there's a good chance that in order to make it absolutely safe, it might need £50,000 per flat spending on it. That's going to have a a huge effect on the market, isn't it, in terms of both the, the, the potential purchaser, what they would want to pay and whether anyone wants to lend them the money. At the end of the day, the lenders have their own interests at heart. They don't want to advance money on a building to then find that there's some significant repair costs which, which you know are going to affect their security. And equally, they have quite a big responsibility to the customers. They have to treat customers fairly. And is it mm. fair to a customer to say, well, yeah, we'll help you buy this flat, but we'll completely pretend, if you like, or ignore the fact that it might have this, this huge obligation uh, at some stage in the future, um, so we won't ask for a form, we'll just uh, pretend that the risk doesn't exist. And uh, again, I would have thought from a, a, a borrower perspective, that would be completely unacceptable. They'd just say, well, you know, I'm sorry, but why would I want to buy a flat if there's got this potential risk? Not of potential risk necessarily of, of waking up to a fire, because as we put, statistically that is very, very unlikely. But much more likely, this potential risk of having to spend an awful lot of money, which, which most people haven't got, um, and and you know would then make that property unsalable and unmortgageable. So um, I think the government is, you know, they need to sort of focus. I think on what they're trying to achieve here. Uh, is it about fire safety, or is it about, if you like, the, the the security safety, the safety of that that particular loan uh, to a lender.
0: Mm. and Catherine with what you've seen I know you were saying that you you have not seen any lenders really kind of moving on this despite the fact that the announcement said that these lenders have committed to changing their um their policies um what do you think we're going to see from lenders kind of in the long term like do you think that they're going to come up with some of their own solutions do you think the government might change their guidance again how do you envision it all panning out to actually serve everyone in the best possible way
2: I, I mean, it's it's almost like an EWS1 is just a tick box exercise for criteria, as as kind of Jeff, Jeff was actually saying. And also, just, just bear in mind, the lenders are dealing with all the COVID criteria. So, it's a crazy time out there for them at the moment trying to navigate the pandemic, let alone sort of the EWS1s and things like that. I think that they will need to see more evidence that those properties are safe and also protecting, you know, uh, potential buyers as well, that those properties will be able to be sold on in the future I mean it's certainly not advice we would give to our clients is if you know if, if there is an EWS fund needed you know how would that property value up in a few years time with this kind of ever-changing guidance and I think I think the lenders are going, going to need to see a lot more evidence and proof and I just wonder is, is the guidance enough at the moment? I don't think it is. Um, under 18 metres tall, I, I just... I really don't know. I just don't know whether they are going to change their stance or maybe they would um, perhaps pass the liability on to the surveyors who are actually going out to survey these these properties. But I know at the moment sort of any evidence of any kind of cladding seen, even if it's not on their kind of subject property or apartment, it's being flagged up regardless of whether that's under 18 metres or not. So I, I can't see that the lenders are going to kind of get on board with any change criteria anytime soon.
0: And what about you, Jeff? What do you envision seeing in the in the long run? Obviously, you've had conversations with bodies and, and lenders. What what are you seeing?
1: Well, certainly in the short run, nothing will change. Uh, I don't. I, we've spoken to quite a number of lenders, including the lenders that, that are mentioned by the government, and they've all pretty much said nothing's going to change in the short term, um, because we need to digest what the government is asking of us. Mm. We need to then do the research. We need to uh, consult quite widely. I don't think any lender will want to take the plunge themselves because within the lending industry, no one wants to be the outlier. Um, if, a, if a particular uh, lender said, well, yeah, we will just follow the government uh, guidance uh, or, or government's sort of uh, view on this, we won't ask for EDS warm forms, they will just get swamped with applications for flats from, from people in that position. So they, they don't want that. They want the risk to be spread more kind of fairly through the industry. So in the short term, uh, you know, certainly sort of the view we've had, nothing will change. The RICS is looking at this, and lenders are looking at this. We've been number of meetings last week, so it is being taken very seriously. I think that's that's probably an important thing to get over. This is not just a knee-jerk reaction from people saying, "Oh, you know, nothing's going ever going to change." It is being taken seriously, um, but it will take some serious evidence, I think, to overturn the sort of status quo. So. Ricks will no doubt be looking at their guidance they 'll be talking to the people on the working party they 'll be consulting widely, and what they 'll come up with is is i 'm sure is their a balanced view saying, well, you know was the guidance is it fit for purpose well, given that it was only issued in April, I think it' would be remarkable if there's any great changes um, because enough we haven 't had enough evidence uh, since then to really justify any big changes, but if there is a justification for change, then it will be changed but I really would be very surprised if it went anything like as far as the government wants. I can, you know, there's always a, a an element, I suppose, of potential tinkering around the edges a little bit, perhaps refining the guidance and saying, well, evidence says that uh, this particular cladding isn't dangerous if it's on a certain building, uh, or, 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 or balconies aren't as dangerous as we thought, or, or something like that. But to say simply, saying, well, we'll just ignore anything on a building up to 18 meters. So you could be faced as a valuer with a building 17 meters in height, clad in aluminum composite material on a timber frame um, and with stacked balconies. Now, even if the lenders said, in effect, do not ask for an EWS One form, um, the logistics of making that work, uh, the valuer can't just pretend that they've not seen that. Um, So they'll simply find another way around. The, the, The whole point of the EWS One form was supposed to make life simple for lenders and valuers. Because prior to the EDS-1 form, the market had more or less seized up and people were asking Mm. for very detailed fire reports and things like that. The EDS-1 form was supposed to be kind of a simple, ticky-box version that a lender could read quite easily. Um, And and Mm -hmm. you think how many EDS-1 forms have been done on sub-18-metre buildings that have highlighted the need for significant improvement works um, and I, now, we don't know what the percentages are because it's not in the public domain. But to some, some suddenly pretend that those risks have disappeared, um, I think that would take quite a leap of faith. I think I don't know how logistically lenders could accommodate that. They, they would have to almost tell the valuers not to report. Um, and then, and then what do the valuers do? They, they will be thinking, well, if I report in accordance with what the lender tells me. Uh, I could be potentially valuing a building that is dangerous in some way. So the, the obvious re- result will be they'll say, well, we're not asking for an EBS1 form. We want a full fire risk assessment because we can't provide a valuation otherwise, because we don't know what the implications of, of these works may be. So I I'm, I'm really do think it's very unlikely that, that it could be made to work. I mean, stand to be corrected if it does. But um, certainly my immediate reaction, I think the reaction of most of my colleagues is, uh, this needs a lot of thinking about. has, a, has some pretty sort of uh, uh, deep consequences. I think we, we, we need to uh, perhaps know a little bit more about why this is being done. We know what what's the evidence, um, and you know what is the real risk in terms of uh, uh, massive expenditure on these buildings. If, if, if the government uh, can supply that evidence, I'm sure as an industry it, it will be examined, and, and, and you know the lessons will be taken from it.
0: I feel like the industry is lacking a bit of alignment at the moment. You know, I think that people are trying to work towards a good common goal but i think the timelines are being kind of um mixed up a little bit which means that people aren't ready at the different times that things are being announced even if people might have been aware that that certain things might have been announced that there is just this misalignment in in being ready Um, and it seems like this has been going on for a while now in the industry that there's all these different parties but they're all sort of like misaligned and it, it doesn't seem like we've ever been able to get to the point where everyone is kind of caught up and that's, I think, something that I'm interested to see. Will it get to a point where the government is at the same kind of pace as the lenders and they actually kind of can work together? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Catherine? Can you imagine this being aligned at any point?
2: Well, well, it kind of surprised me, surprises me already that, that it actually isn't. Surely the government should be speaking to the surveyors, the mortgage lenders, and also thinking about uh, the, you know, the actual real lives that are actually stuck in this poor stories you know it's it's so sad but also for potential buyers as well there is a human cost it's not just about lending money borrowing money selling buying you have to ensure that these buildings are safe and even to the point that any of my clients you know finding out that EWS1 is just a tick box exercise um you know it's quite upsetting really. I think we do need the government speaking to the surveyors to make sure that these properties under eighteen metres are safe, to allow people to actually live in them, or you know, enable them to actually sell them. I think the the big picture here is is the human cost. And I think why aren't they all communicating at the same time? Surely that makes common sense and it seems to have been lost.
0: Yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. Have you got anything to add, Jeff, on that? Um, Yeah, I think in terms of misalign,
1: I think within the industry, I don't think there's a degree of misalignment. I think the lenders and the valuers are pretty much on the same page here. We all appreciate that over the past 20, 25 years, there's been some pretty dodgy practices, um, you know, poor regulation or, or or regulation hasn't been sort of enforced properly. We've had all the fallout from the Grenfell inquiry where mm. manufacturers admitted that they'd been sort of uh, gaming the tests and things like that. So there's an awful lot of things have gone wrong. I think every, so. From a lending perspective, you know, they don't want to just take the easy way out and say, well, we'll never lend on a high-rise block of flats. It's a compromise. Um, if they were just to lend without asking for any uh, report of any kind, then potentially they're just storing up even more of a problem going forward for themselves and for their borrowers. So the EDS-1 form is a, is a kind of, a, or the request for the form is a compromise. So the valuer goes out does this building obviously look like it's a potential risk? In which case, we ask for a form. If it doesn't, then we assume all is okay. You could argue that that assumption goes too far. The default assumption almost could be well, we assume it's dangerous unless proven otherwise. But we don't do that. We assume things are okay unless we see the cladding. Or we see the, uh, the the balconies, which have been proven to be particularly uh, uh, an issue. So it's a compromise. And I think within the industry, it's generally accepted. It's probably a reasonable compromise. But you can appreciate it from the government's perspective. This isn't a problem that this government created. It's a problem that's that's occurred over 20, 25 years. It's just that they've inherited the discovery. Uh, it was discovered in 2017. Uh, so they would It was just bad luck that, that they know what to deal with that fallout. Um, to to fix all these buildings would cost an absolute fortune. They're talking sort of fifteen billion. Well, we know these sort of estimates tend to always go up rather than down. So fifteen billion, and will take many many years. So and in the meantime, the mortgage market for these flats is is pretty much jammed. Um, so so if the government can say, well. We don't think these lower buildings are such a risk that it's that it's that we have to do all this. That would free the market. So you can see from their perspective why that would be a good move. But the lenders are thinking you know, that, that that doesn't mean the problems go away. You know, so I think it's um, it will be a, a discussion. I'm sure um, the government made this announcement. I think they've got a little bit of form because they announced last November, didn't they, that they'd done a deal with the lenders and with the RICS. To, to reduce uh, edus one forms. And that didn't quite work out the way uh, it was announced. So I think, I say, come back to what we said originally, I would be amazed if we wind up in a situation where no one is asking for some kind of more detailed inspection on, on, on so 18-metre buildings. Um, whether the guidance will change slightly um, and perhaps mean fewer requests, that's always possible. But I think, again, it will be driven by the evidence.
0: I think as well um, something I was going to mention. I remember reading in the um, in the announcement that they still made reference to the financing option um, that they might offer leaseholders, so that, that, that leaseholders don't have to pay above a certain amount monthly for the cladding remediations if that's something that they need to do. But that still hasn't been announced, and that still hasn't been kind of stated as to what how that will work and the terms of it, etc. Is that something? I don't know, Catherine. Is that is that something that any leaseholders? Um, are considering the like you know is that something that they'd be open to or are they just like I don't want to pay for it anyway so it doesn't matter whether you're going to give me financing or you know a cap to how much I have to pay or not.
2: Agreed I think I think most leaseholders just wouldn't wouldn't want to be in that position I don't blame them at all so yeah I, I can't imagine many leaseholders kind of jumping on board with that. I think, as Jeff was saying, it does need more evidence. We do need more clear guidance, and all the lenders to work together. Because, as Jeff as Jeff was saying, if you have a two lenders actually not allow, you know, not actually asking for an EWS one, then you're just gonna sort of, you know, have all those applications going through them. So it does just need to be um, sort of blanket guidance for everybody. But I wouldn't, you know. Going back to the point about the leaseholders, I wouldn't imagine anybody wanting to get on board with that.
1: In the uh, the £50 a month thing is is quite an interesting idea. It's effectively saying to people, well, rather than being faced with a huge bill, you know, £50, £60, £70, £100,000, you will just pay £50 a month more on your service charge. And if that could be done, um, then the market could operate because effectively you'd be looking at two flats, Uh, one that was built properly and one that wasn't built properly in in inverted commas. And and anyone thinking of buying would simply say, well, the one that was built properly, the service charge is X. The one that wasn't built properly has now been remediated. And okay, I now have to pay £50 a month more for for however long it takes. But you could reflect that in the offer that you made. You can say, well, it's uh, £50 a month less I've got to spend on my mortgage. Uh, So people could uh, could, uh, sort of take that into account. So to me, the issue around the, the sort of the £50 a month thing is how do you get the building remediated? Because presumably someone has to borrow an awful lot of money to fix the building.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, it could actually be that in some cases, the people who own the building are the leaseholders. They may all have a share of the freehold. In effect, they've got to then pay for it themselves and then sort of pay themselves back at £50 a month. Uh, which, so, so I'm not sure that that will work very well. And and if you have a situation where the freeholder of that building, the the only income they get is from perhaps service charges and and ground rents, and if they're told, well, you can now charge £50 or more, uh, a month more, um, well, is that enough to finance the work? Um, You know, someone's got to pay for this money up front. The the people who do the remedial work aren't going to say, well, we'll spend £3 quid fixing your building, pay us back at, you know, £50 pounds a month per flat for the next 200 years. They will want paying up front. So, so whether the government's going to have to do some sort of loans or, or, or some sort of grants or something like that, uh, because otherwise it's, it's how, how do you get to the point where the building is fixed? I think it's once the building's fixed and it's £50 pounds a month more, I think most people would say, well, that's probably not a bad deal. Um, much better than living in a dangerous building and having to pay all the money out in one uh, sort of chunk. But it, how do you get to that point? How do you actually finance the works and get the works done?
0: Yeah, like you say, Jeff. Please. Like where the
1: detail comes in is how how, how would you do that? And there will be lots of situations where the people who own the building can't afford to do it, um, uh, or or you know, or, or they can only afford to put so much down or whatever it is. So there's going to be all sorts of uh, anomalies there. I think, I think we haven't really seen um any sort of detail about that yet so i'm sure the government's yeah but we haven't shared it with
0: us yeah like i said it it was mentioned in the announcement but um again there's not been proper details released on it so i guess we'll we'll wait and see on that front um but thank you guys i we've come up to the end of the the session now and just want to thank you both for your really interesting insights thank you jeff and thank you catherine and it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast
2: thank you you very much
1: Uh, it's been been interesting (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, yeah, we're going to say goodbye to now to our listeners, but um, please tune in next time for the next podcast. We'll have plenty more content coming your way.
2: Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface.